This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. Okay, we want to welcome our online listeners. So let's talk about the miracle within. Now, you would think that your average Christian would understand that the power of the Holy Spirit actually lives inside the mortal bodies of the children of God. Now, I don't even know if you guys have really thought that through completely, but you actually have a life that is living inside you. You know, if you say something over and over and over again, you kind of get used to hearing it and you kind of forget or you take for granted the reality that life actually does live inside you. There's actually a being thinking inside you. You see, we're not used to breaking down the details of the reality of the scriptures, for example, Christ in you the mind of Christ in you, the life of Christ in you, Christ is in you, Christ lives in you, Christ lives through you. We oftentimes don't break down the science of that. I mean, you think about it, the the actual science, there's another mind in you that has the power and ability to influence and actually control your mind. When you see or hear an inspired teacher or preacher or or mother or father I mean something very inspiring comes out of that person there is a power that is overtaking that mind it also can happen on the demonic side some of the demonic movies and video games are very demonically inspired and I don't know if you've ever sat back and said where did, where where does this stuff come from? I mean, the minds of these people sitting around and creating this, well, where does this come from? It's too far beyond man. That's a good question. And there's an easy answer. But the world doesn't want to hear about it. There are only two forces that influence a human mind. The mind of Satan and the mind of God through Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, inside you, if you are an indwelt believer. When I use the term indwelt believer, that means there came a time in your life when you actually repented of not being a believer, not being a child of God, and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God decided to put the Holy Spirit inside your mortal body. That's when you got the mind of Christ. Here is our theme for today. Arrogant people, people with pride. People with pride have an arrogant mindset of proving their every point. Quarrels, picks fights, and are always ready to be defensive. The Hebrew word picture for defensive is very simple. It's a fence. And it's a man. It's a man who puts fences around himself. And he doesn't really want anyone to get close to him or her. So what they do is they put these 
walls up, these fences up, so that you encounter the fence. These fences can look in the terms of intellectual garbage, or they could look in the term of being uh, crabby and owie and, and not wanting you to get close that way. Defensiveness can look many different ways. But that's what arrogant people are like. They, they have their own mind set. So whether there's an influence coming from God and a believer or teacher, preacher, whatever, they become defensive because they think that they have control over their own mind. Not realizing that a fleshly mind, as scripture tells us in many, many, many uh, locations, that a secular mindset or a mindset on itself is evil. You're opening yourself up to a world that you think you're the one that has the mindset. In reality, you're being empowered by a whole different resource. James chapter 4, verses 1. We talked about that passage. What is the source of quarrels and conflict among you? Is it not your own members waging war with itself? You see, people of pride enjoy a good fight. You ever get crabby and you just want to stay crabby? And you want a good fight? You want to you wrangle words? You want to whatever? Well, what you're actually communicating is that you want to stay engaged and stay crabby because you want to get this stuff out of you. So instead of getting this stuff out of you properly, you're engaging in quarrels and fights and being defensive because it keeps the other person engaged with you. It is not the uh, godly way of doing that. People of humility and brokenness are willing to be insulted, rejected, and talked over in order to yield their rights to be right. They understand that humility comes from within. When we use the term humility comes from within, would someone please explain to me exactly what that means? means after all of our messages okay where do we get it you have absolutely zero ability to be humble what sends people to hell is arrogance I am God That'll send you to hell so fast it's ridiculous. I am God. So the whole movement throughout the whole world is all these religions saying you can be your own God. You can be in control of your own destiny. That's Satan's thing from the garden with Eve when he, he deceived her and saying you can be as God is the way the English translated it out. That is not the way the Hebrew says it. You can be God. You see, that's how he got thrown out of heaven, if you remember. He wanted the role of God. And of course, God had a 40-hour therapy session with him. Gave him a second, third, fourth chance. Now, as soon as it slipped out of his mouth, he fell from heaven like a bolt of lightning. You want to ruffle God's feathers? Say that you're God. 
You want to get some discipline by him, say that you're as God. Any man who thinks he's in control of his own mind is a man who thinks he is as God. You will be disciplined without questions asked. Discipline is not punishment. Punishment is Old Testament. Discipline is New Testament. Discipline means we will make you into a disciple. It's where the term comes from. Discipline. Discipline is a follower of a teacher. So when God disciplines us, he's moving us away from our own mindset and having us follow the teacher, Jesus Christ. But he happens to live inside of us. We actually have his mind within us. That makes it pretty special. How not to be defensive. Well, that's a good one. God reveals to us in the book of John that we have the inner humble life of Jesus if we are indwell Christians. You can find the most arrogant indwell Christian on the face of the earth and they have the ability, the power, the allowance to be the most humble person on the earth because Christ is inside of them. So how do we get them from being the most arrogant indwelt Christian to the most humble indwelt Christian? It's a thing called the art of brokenness. They have to be broken. Knowing this, we can embrace that grace is, in truth, nothing but the simple consent of allowing God to be all through us by releasing the Spirit to surrender ourselves to His working without self-sufficient effort. This is, cannot be accomplished by leaving here today or shutting your computer off and saying, okay, I get this and now I'm going to practice it. You can't practice what you don't have. But if you allow Christ to practice who he is through you, then you will have it. So it's really not by an act of ourselves. It's an act of Christ doing it through us. How do we choose to make our joy complete? Well, Philippians 2, 1 and 2. This is from our initial passage today. Therefore, if, any, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. If the churches just in this community would live these verses, just the Christians, the indwell Christians within this community could change the world. It does not take a million people to change the world. If you don't believe me, look in church history. It takes one, two, three, four people to start a complete revolution. This wouldn't be the first time that an actual a revival started in a small community. I could talk to you about a little Welsh community that a revival started, and we are still practicing what happened out of that revival. So you see, it doesn't take much except for being of the same mind. That doesn't mean that you would be of the same mind as my fleshly mind 
It means you are of the same mind of Christ's mind within me. That's how this is possible. So here are the ifs of having complete joy. One, encouragement in Christ. Two, consolation of love. Three, fellowship of the Spirit. Four, affection and compassion. You pull one of these out and none of them work. You must have all of them to have your joy complete. If you're having a bad day and you're kind of depressed and you're not very joyful, you're suffering from one of these. Problem is, when you dump one, you're going to dump them all. So therefore, the elements of making our joy complete are same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You see, we need to be calling brothers and sisters in Christ to get in on that same mind again. To be lined up with the Holy Spirit again. To enjoy that one love with each other again. But no, we run off to our closets and act independent and think that we can figure it out ourselves. Good luck, as they say. Because it's not going to work. Humility from within. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Here's our list. Pride is receiving uh, one in his own name. So if I'm, for example, you know, going somewhere else to speak, and I want my name to be what is presented, I want the emphasis on me, then I would be acting out of pride. But I want to go out and be received in the mind or life of Jesus Christ. That's how it works. Jesus cannot do anything of himself. That's John 5:19. Jesus did not have a will of his own. Jesus would not receive glory from men. John 5:41. Jesus would not do his own thing. John 6:38. Be great for you to study each of these verses. They will bend your mind, and when you're done studying it, you realize you're nothing. You are absolutely nothing. So I'm going to want to quote Galatians 6 for me, 6 3. He who thinks. He who thinks he is something when he's nothing deceives himself. My disciple said to me many years ago in Denver, he quoted that verse to me because he knew that my striving every day was to be somebody because I grew up being a nobody. He says, You were actually in better shape when you were a kid. Now that you're striving to be someone, you're messing things up. He reached over on his desk and he picked up a little flushy and he said, you are nothing. Not even that. You have no value in and of yourself. You're absolutely nothing. Well, all of society is built upon you are something. You are, uh, you are capable of anything you want to put your mind to. You are, you are, you are, you are. Well, God is spending his effort reducing us to nothing so we can have the everything, Christ Jesus within us. But here's the respectful beauty of Christ's mind in you. He is a gentleman, and he will not think through you or do through you until you're done doing the doing. That's the facts. 
He's that respectful. So he'll let you be a doer and a thinker on your own until you are 10 minutes from your grave. But the message he always has for you is you are nothing. And if you think you're something when you're nothing, you're the one deceiving yourself. You don't even need Satan. You're deceiving yourself. How much of the world around you do you see people getting educated and doing all these things that they need to do to, 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 just to be somebody, to be better? And how many scriptures have you read when Jesus is actually saying, I really prefer the lowly. I prefer, how many times did he get in trouble for hanging out with a bunch of winos and tax gatherers and handicapped people and people drooling on themselves? A lot. Because see, lowly people are easy to change and put a fire under. The higher you are on the, on the ladder, the tougher it is to reach you. Because you're deceived. People who are deceived cannot be communicated with because they're so far up on the ladder. That's what I believe deception's called. So Jesus would not do his own thing. Jesus' teachings were not of him. John 17, 16. I encourage those online. Please get the PDF with this so you can study these scriptures. He did not come on his own. He does, he does nothing of himself. John 8, 28. One of my favorite passages. He doesn't seek his own glory. John 8, 50. And then his words are not his own. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about, the one who uh, we were singing praises to just a few minutes ago. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God, who says he's nothing. He does nothing. He can't preach, he can't teach, he can't do anything. Nothing, he said. The term is used there in the Greek. In every single English translation I looked up, this week, it is nothing, 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 nothing. Jesus himself did nothing aside from his father's mind. He gets to keep the rules and we don't have to? Speaking of arrogance. Pride is this. I talk today in my own name. I can do anything if I put my mind to it. I do have and believe in willpower. I strive to seek affection from others. I have the right to do my own thing. I am an educated and well-trained leader. I have to defend my own reputation. I have this self-initiative to do. I appreciate the approval of others. So if you guys want to thank me for the sermon later, that would be great. Keep me going the whole rest of the day. Of course, you have to call me tomorrow morning and say it again. And then finally, my words today come from my mind. I'm not giving anyone else the credit, that's for sure. In fact, I'm going to copyright my words. And I'm going to get them registered in the Library of Congress. So no one can use my words without my permission. 
speaking of arrogance of mankind. That's why I love the challenge when I get an email from another author saying, That's, those, those are my materials. I say, good, let me bless you with them. Let's work together on this. Let's quit charging for the gospel. Let's get the message out. Let's work together. Whose mind did this come from? And if you say anyone but Jesus is, I'm afraid we are not brothers in Christ. You see, we need to be challenging each other with this whole issue of the mind of Christ within you. The thing that uh, P.P. Thomas has asked me to come over and teach on, and that is counseling with the mind of Christ in you and through you. It's the same principle of what Alexander was communicating with life within you. That woman has absolutely no control over the development of that child. Her body is 100% in obedience to growing up that child to be birthed so that mom and dad can take over from there. Same thing happens in our spirituality, but we forget that. I don't have any control over the mind of Christ. I think he's rather insulted when I said I need to send you for another PhD. I need to get you more education so you can have the right and privilege to communicate to the world. Speaking of arrogance, I think the God of the universe is very capable of communicating through our minds and using our tongues and using our gestures. Or be like Nick and not have any of those but his tongue. God loves those lowly type. Humility. If Jesus Christ could not do anything outside of his father, how is it that we dare to do anything outside of our husband? Jesus Christ. Answer is, pride is Godship. Now when I use the term Godship, it is you somehow have been trained either by man or the enemy, if there's a difference, that you can be in charge of your own life. You can pretty much be as God in your day-to-day -day decisions. So the key truth here is Godship is seeking to be or play God in one's own life or in the lives of people around them. It's called an argument. It's called a debate. The best way to trip someone up is to let them trip themselves up because deception always trips people. Always trips people. You don't have to trip them. Wrangling words or debates are very dangerous because the Bible says in Proverbs that a man gets entangled in many words. You just let them trip themselves. If they're not deceived, they won't be tripped. If they are deceived, they will be tripped. Genesis 3.5 is our scripture that shows us this. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, which in the Hebrew is you will be God. You won't need God anymore. Because you'll be God. My Hindu listeners are very well familiar with the religion that believes you can be your own God. 
What a lie. To discover the areas of God chipping in the lives of those filled with pride, to show proud people how those patterns of pride repeat themselves. They don't go away. They get worse as you get older. Here's a list of Godship. Basically, Godship can be easily described as setting the standard for yourself or someone else. Now, here's how it works. Whoever determines the standard of conduct for themselves or someone else, they're the ones that get to demand absolute obedience of the standard. So if you're in a debate or an argument or a strong discussion with your spouse or another, you are stating the standard of what you want them to see, hear, embrace. So the reason why you start sounding demanding is because the standard's coming from you. If the standard's coming from the mind of Christ in you, you don't need to get demanding because you'll believe in a sovereign God. The gold medal winner yesterday of the uh, high dive was a pure example of that to the world. He was interviewed and before the gold and his response was just what was it he said? It doesn't matter if I'm first or last, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And now he got gold. You want to be a gold medal Christian into all Christian in your life? Believe in the sovereignty of God because there's no judge on that panel that can stop that young man from winning gold if God decided I'm going to use the gold to get my glory. That kid would not hang on to the glory of that medal. Then there are others who were doing symbols like this and you know I'm the man and you know because they are saying I am God what one of them even said I have accomplished what I wanted to accomplish because I am a legend now Wow that's it you made it that, that's your goal in life you're a legend you're a Charles Barkley you're a Michael Jordan that's a goal Speaking of arrogance. But you see, those are the two, those are the two diverse contrasts of how to appropriate your already a goal to God versus striving to be God. A legend of your own. So whoever sets the standard demands the obedience to the standard gets to be the judge. Since I'm the demanding one, I get to be the judge. So you start being judgmental. That's when the finger comes out. It's like a hammer for a judge. Whoever is the judge gets to seek revenge. They get to pay the sentence. Well, I'm not going to talk to you for a week or two days or a day or an hour. You pay the sentence out. Why? Because you're God. You're the judge. I have Godship. This is where pride finally, finally settles in. And then selfishly endeavoring to control the circumstances. Well, once you, once you cut the check, once you give them the consequences, now you get to control them. You can make them feel guilty 
and you get to control them and that is where many men live today in their relationships with their wives and children. They're afraid, they're just scared to death to assert leadership because of this payback thing that goes back and forth between a husband and a wife. And it just gets passed on down to the children. So now all of a sudden the children are setting standards and being demanding and acting like old judges in the house and seeking revenge from mommy and daddy and then selfishly endeavoring to control mom and dad's life. And what do they ultimately say? The opposite of what the swimmer was saying. They get to say, I am the sovereignty of this relationship. What I say goes. Speaking of arrogance... Then the end result is you actually get to seek praise and approval. Get down on your knees and worship me. Now I have never met a human yet in counseling for 30 plus years that when they get to this phase of Godship where I've actually heard a wife or a husband or a brother or sister say, get on your knees and worship me. But I have met thousands of them that say it. With their behavior. You put your attention on me. When I walk in the room, it's about me. When I talk, it's about me. When I, it's about me. You know, it's that, it's all here. All starts here, it ends here. That's what this, I literally watched this athlete go down this list this week. And then his final interview saying, it's done. I am. I am the legend. I am the greatest athlete in the world. And then he said, history. So you see, he doesn't need to ask help and guidance from anyone. He's God. God doesn't have another source to go to for counseling. And I can assure you he's not going to sign up for a session over at my office. God has nowhere to go to seek help. And guidance. He is the great I am. Hebrew in that passage when Moses asked him who he was, can you can you believe he had the gall to ask God who he was? But he did, and God said to him, I am the I am. And in the Hebrew, that translates as I am all of the identities. When someone says, I am a carpenter, I am a mechanic, I am a teacher, I am a pastor, I am a, a janitor. God says, I am all that. I am. There's no one for me to go to for help. That's why, ultimately, Satan wants you to go to no one for help and discipleship. The most common problem in the world today and those of you who are listening who are a part of discipleship ministries know the most common problem today is people don't seek mentorship, discipleship. And if they don't, that already tells me before they, I even start with them in counseling, discipleship, they're at the bottom of the list. Humility is granting God his right to conduct his prerogatives through the Holy Spirit that indwells you. And what are his prerogatives? They're the same list. He's the one that sets the standards through me. 
He's the one that demands obedience through me. He's the one that judges. He's the one that takes revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He's the one that controls all life. He's the sovereign one. Ask the swimmer. He seeks praise and worship and accepts. He's the one that says, I don't need to ask help or guidance from anyone, particularly you, Steve. That's his prerogatives. So who do we think we are to say we have prerogatives to decide any of this stuff in someone's life or ours? Speaking of arrogance, God's law, man's law. Here's what God's law says. Whatever God, out of his own infinite goodness, justice, and love, states to be ultimately for man's blessing and God's glory. What does he say evil is? Whatever God rejects as being inconsistent with his perfect righteousness. And therefore against his good purpose in the world. What does man say? Whatever is personally thought at present to be beneficial to the greatest number of persons or to the persons of greatest importance. Do you know who gets all the free stuff in the world? And, and some of you who are millionaires that are listening to you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the rich people. Do you know when very, very wealthy people walk into a restaurant that they rarely have to pay for their own meals? Because the owner of the establishment wants to give them free food because they're rich. Do you know who the poorest people are in the world? The poorest people. Why is God for the lowly? You figure it out. Why, isn't God, why did God say it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than it is to get him into the kingdom of God? Well, you figure it out. The higher you are on the ladder, the worse you become. The tougher it is to get you into heaven. And even to get into heaven, you have to become as a little child. That's a quote-unquote, by the way. You have to become as a child to enter the kingdom of God. What does man say evil is? Well, whatever is rejected by the present consensus and, and therefore perceived as being bad for society. I'll decide what's right or wrong. Do you know what's the, happened to the church and what the greatest movement in the church today is? It's the emergent movement. The emergent movement is the people decide what's right and wrong. They don't want to hear preachers doing hellfire damnation preach, preaching anymore? Are you kidding? That's insultive. If we brought one of our old preachers back, a D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, do you know when Charles Spurgeon used to preach, they used to hang on to the front of the pew? He wouldn't even raise his voice either. Well, they call him an intellectual today. God took over that man's mind when he preached. They were scared to death before they left that church that po possibly that something would happen to them before they got to the street and not getting it. That day's gone. Now we just say, well, that's a very interesting opinion that guy has. Hmm. Well, he's a little too this or he's a little too that. We judge the person and miss the message. Huh, I wonder why we do that. 
Here's what happens in relationships. You have person number one, person number two. It could be a friend. It could be anyone. And what's going on here is the two are actually Godshipping each other to get control over the third kingdom. I want to be the sovereign one over this relationship. That number three that you see there is the relationship. I want to be in control of the relationship. So if the person number one starts to assert and, it's, and they get the sense that they're losing control of the relationship, they start their Godship standard setting. Then the other one throws a few standard setting back and so forth and so on until there is a division by force. That's the dotted line going down between the two. Division by force comes from the Latin, which is the definition for divorce. Division by force. There's no God-ordained divorces. How arrogant of us. It is division by force. Everything is reconcilable. Everything is reconcilable. If not, I would be going to hell. Everything can be forgiven. If not, I would be going to hell. Whether you're a serial killer or you eat too much cereal. The fact is, everything is forgivable. Within the time period that God has given it to us here on earth as children. To respond to God's forgiveness through Christ Jesus. Know this, you cannot release the spirit within you to conduct the prerogatives of God. If you are caught up in receiving glory from men or want control over another man's field. It's just, if you're jealous, you can't have the movement of the Spirit in you. It doesn't, they won't come out together. No man can serve two masters. So God waits until you're fed up with the old one. You, you're the old one. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Thank God for that. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He's the only one that has the power to do humbling and to be humbled through us which humbles us, by the way, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I meant to get rid of that sound effect and forgot. Number six of our little tests that we have been doing every week is the closer we get to Christ, the less we are tempted. True or false? False. False. Let's see what the answer is. False, that's turkey talk. Here's a fact. The more expressive your walk and talk with Christ Jesus, the more you are tempted and attacked by Satan. The comfort is, the more intimate your walk is with Christ in you, the more equipped you are at fighting off those attacks. 
I personally believe as a discipler of all these years, the number one pe reason why Christians avoid growing is because they know Satan's going to attack them. I mean, seriously, a four-year-old can figure that out when they're laying in bed fearful. The more righteous decisions you make, the more you're going to be attacked. And people hate attacks. They'll do anything to avoid being attacked. So the best thing to do to avoid being attacked is to be like the enemy. Why, why is he going to mess with you if you look like him? If you sound like him, if you walk like him, if you talk like him and you rent videos that, that demonstrate it. Why? Satan would just leave you alone. Of course he would. But be like Christ Jesus and allow Christ to do the working in and through you. Well, you're cranking up the heat, to say the least. Pride is the reflection of Satan's face. Now, I really do. I know you may get tired of all the pride pride statements or whatever, but I want us to leave every Sunday, and I want every person to turn the computer off after this message and go, pride is really ugly, and I don't want it anymore. I'm tired of it. Well, if you're tired of it, I ask you to do this in Christ Jesus. Before you are done listening to this message, meaning walking away from the message, before you say that was really interesting, ask God to break you. If you are afraid to ask God to break you or to further break you, then you don't trust God. Because you can say, God, break me, cause me to know this message internally by your breaking. He's never going to do anything or allow anything to happen to you that is beyond what is good for you. So by praying that, you're safe. But it is what we need to pray. Saying pride is ugly and asking God to do something about it, obviously, is two separate things. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the message of truth today. And I pray, as usual, any words that proceeded out of my mouth that were not from you but came from my own mind, I pray that they would supernaturally forget in Jesus' name. But Father, anything and everything that came from your mind through Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, I pray they would remember, all of us would remember for eternity. We love you, thank you, and honor you for being our teacher today. We thank you that you have given us the mind of Christ. And Father, we just now pray that as we part into doing whatever it is that we're going to do after this moment, that uh, the Spirit of God may actively work into our Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ 
without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a pile, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.